success looks so easy from the outside, but all successful people have had to overcome enormous obstacles along the way. And in many cases, look failure right in the eye. Most successful people don't focus on the struggle and rarely do they talk about it because quite frankly, that's not what creates success. Join us here where we will chat with fierce female entrepreneurs and share the good, the bad, and the ugly of entrepreneurship and talk about the obstacles we have faced and how you can overcome them to reach the success that you desire. I am your host, Cami Lehman, and this is the She's Invincible Podcast. Oh, so it's Valentine's Day today. Is this your favorite holiday or is this the one you dread? Is this the day you wear pink and red or do you show up in black? Are you mourning and not looking forward to this day? Are you planning to lay on the couch with popcorn under a blanket, watching a movie? What are you going to do today? How will you celebrate? You know, it amazes me to think that we would be so narrow-minded to think that Valentine's Day is just a day for romance or intimacy. Valentine's Day is a day of love. It's a day that we could love more. We could learn more about love. We could explore what love means to us. And I'm so excited to have Samantha Louise Nelson with me today for this message because you are not even going to believe what she's bringing you today, which we didn't title it love, but oh my gosh, at the end, you're going to be like, wow, this is love. So I have Samantha with me and we're going to talk a little bit about love and about Valentine's Day and maybe some different unconventional, untraditional things that we can do to show love on this special day. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, and this is your thing. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. Yes. So fascinating Valentine's Day, right? And I love, love how you introduced like, what are you doing today? Are you wearing pink and red or are you wearing black? <laughs> are you celebrating or mourning? And what we're going to talk about later with storytelling and stepping into character um, to, to, to own your own life and to make changes. The same goes for today. I used to be, uh, that same kind of like when I was little, I thought Valentine's was so exciting. And then the messages start coming in that like, you know, you have to look a certain way to be pretty and you have to wear certain clothes to fit in a certain place. And this is what men want. This is what a boy would want from a girl. This is what a guy wants from a lady, this is what a man wants from a woman, whatever context it's coming from. Like you said, it's like the, the romantic, intimate thing between two people, two lovers, regardless of orientation, regardless of preferences, there seems to be this push and this thing that's put on us that it has to be between you and another person. But what we're talking about today in stories and, and symbols and archetypes is like, what if you could become the hero of love? What if you could step into the archetype of lover 
but lover doesn't have to be intimate with another person. What if it means intimacy for you? You know, how much do you know yourself? What is your body asking for today? What do you need today? What's the one commitment you can give yourself that shows you how important you are? Even if you're wearing black and and mourning or angry because of the way the world expects us to act on Valentine's Day, then put the black on and own it. (laughs) Throw up the middle finger and say, I'm the hero of love here. This is what it's all about. I'm going to love me. Here's what I need today. Here's what I want today. And play with it. Make it fun. Don't let the world tell you what this is supposed to be about because the world right now isn't doing so great on this love thing, is it? Oh, my gosh. Oh, there's a mic drop. No, it's not. And, you know, like, I love black. So if I were to wear black on Valentine's Day, I would love that Uh, because that's one of my favorite colors, although pink is too. So maybe pink earrings, right? But I love this idea of just, you know, loving yourself, right? That's where it starts. I mean, honestly, you know, when we look at relationships, um, our relationships are best when we love ourselves first, right? So if we have things that are in the way of that or blocking that, we really need to work on that. And I love that, you know, where our conversation is going to go in this episode, because that's, that's really what it's all about is being your authentic self. So if your authentic self is wearing pink, then wear pink today, right? And if it's whatever, take yourself out to dinner, treat yourself to your favorite treat enjoy yourself first and then you can enjoy all of the other things that are in your life and around you. Yes. I think right now, uh, one singular question is coming to my mind from the people that I've met that really understand what love is. And it's always this question, is your authentic self worth loving? Do you deserve love? Do you love yourself? Some form of that question. The experts on love, my mentors that I've met, you, Cammie, that's the question. Are you worth it deep down inside? Yes. And you know, I love that you said that because the immediate, my immediate response was everybody is worthy of love. Love is unconditional. You do not need to earn it. You should have it naturally. It is reciprocal, right? It's, yeah. it's that law of reciprocity where you give love and love returns to you. And again, it's that, you know, get right with yourself thing, figure <sighs> out what, you know, maybe you're not practicing self-love. Maybe you're working yourself into the ground. Maybe you're not taking care of your body. Maybe you're indulging in unhealthy habits, whether it's alcohol or drugs or food or whatever addiction you have. Um, What is it that's standing in the way? Because as soon as you learn to love yourself at the highest level, that's when you can give that away and receive it back. It's the, it's the thing that never ends. It's that everlasting love that no one can ever take away from you. Amen. There's always going to be villains, right? The yes. villains are going to come and they're going to try to tell you that you don't deserve or that you're not worthy. But the truth is everyone deserves and everyone is worthy. It doesn't matter what you've done or who you've been. 
just find your way back to yourself and learn to love yourself. Yes. Well, happy Valentine's Day, Samantha. You too. Thank you. How, how are you going <laughs> to celebrate? Great question. I'm not going to work. I'm not going to do anything for anyone else today because that's too much of what goes on in my mind. The pressures of I got to serve everybody else. So today is going to be blocked off and go to the gym, take a really long shower, eat some ice cream, <laughs> maybe two or three times today. <laughs> it's going to be literally ad lib, whatever I want. I love it. And I think I'm going to probably go out to lunch. I'll probably treat myself to a manicure and pedicure, maybe a massage, and then maybe have a nice dinner. Yes. I think that's what's going to happen in my world. Beautiful. And I'll probably wear black. <laughs> Me <laughs> too. Earrings. Yes. yes. <laughs> With a little drop of pink or red earrings. Yes. I think that's what I'm going to do. Well, happy yes. Valentine's Day to you. Thank you. Happy Valentine's Day. And we are sending love to all of you that are listening right now. I love the song from the Beatles, All You Need Is Love. And that is more true today, this year, than any other time in my life. It's true. All you need is love. So go get that for yourself and then share it with others. Have a beautiful day. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today on the She's Invincible podcast. And oh my gosh, do we have an invincible one for you. Samantha's passion is women's empowerment and organizational cultural branding. Currently, she owns her own business and is a doctoral student at Vanderbilt University's Peabody College studying leadership and learning in organizations, which complements her master's degree in educational leadership, specializing in organizational systems change. She holds a diplomate and instructorship in biocognitive science, as well as a diplomate in biocognitive organizational science with a specialty in mission and vision development to inform experiential employee training, workplace well-being, and business innovation. With experience in curriculum design, she ensures a humanistic approach to each framework she develops for personal empowerment and career development. Oh my gosh. Welcome, Samantha Louise Nelson. It is so great to have you here today on the She's Invincible podcast. And I have to say, I had no idea how smart you were. <laughs> Oh my Thank gosh, you. I just, uh, I, I read it before and I read it again, but now I just did it now and I'm like, oh, this is a little um, intimidating, <laughs> but we don't do that. We don't compare ourselves on this podcast. Correct. So I'm just playing, but oh my gosh, it's so great to have you here. It's uh, just been so fun to get to know you already and just hear your story. And I cannot wait to bring this to the people. So, uh Fun city. You guys, hold on, grab a notebook, buckle yourself up, grab something to drink, maybe a tissue, and let's do this. Oh gosh, let's do it. Let's jump in. Let's not keep them waiting. Let's tell our listeners how in the world you got where you are today and what makes you invincible. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me today. I'm so excited to go through this conversation. And how did I get where I am today? Um, I, I grew up on a farm outside of a little tiny town called Hector, Minnesota. And I spent a lot of time outside with my brother outside in the barns or in the fields with my dad and my uncles and my grandpa, uh, my mom once in a while when she wasn't working. But I had this experience growing up all about how to work hard, how to be strong, how to face fears and when need be um, push pain down, push through it persevere and get to the end point, get to the end goal that you're going to, right? Um, but as I, as I kept growing up, um, becoming an athlete, becoming a musician, becoming a quilter in high school, um, I started to recognize in my body that I had these stress responses. I couldn't put words to it. I didn't know exactly what was going on, but I could tell inside of me um, that if I expressed my true self, if I let my needs and um, desires and dreams out, I would get funny looks from people. I would get strange comments like this doesn't fit here, right? The, those kind of subliminal messages like you're like an alien. And my body would respond with stress. It would hurt. It would feel pain. And I couldn't tell exactly what that was. So early on in my life, I learned how to um, do what I needed to do, how to read people, how to read environments and situations um, to, quote unquote, thrive. Looking back now, realizing that it wasn't really thriving, it was performing, right? So I could put on a mask, I could code switch and go from one context to another, flipping the masks and flipping what needed to be, what I needed to become to fit in that place, to, to be successful. And um, through that performance and through those measurements, feel like I was good enough, feel like I was worthy. So going into a professional career, then I became a teacher out of college. And um, the, that race, that race on the treadmill just continued, right? So hours and hours of work, never taking time for myself because I thought it had to be given to everyone else. Um, a transition from education into healthcare, feeling and experiencing the exact same things, even though I was making more money and I was working my way up the ladder. And I got to a point through that journey where I said, enough is enough. I'm not being empowered. I'm just being challenged to prove myself how other people think that I should be deemed worthy. And of course, none of this came without tears. None of it came without hours or sometimes days just feeling like I can't do anything except lay in bed or lay on the couch because my processing isn't working. I'm burned out. I'm exhausted. Um, and learning how to develop new tools and new skill sets rewriting the rules of my life so that I wasn't being driven based on those cultural messages that I was given growing up, that I was given in the workplace, um, but also very important to identify the places that I was empowered during my lifetime, the places that there was goodness and there was healing. So differentiating also between the fact that even though I had been wounded I had been neglected by some people. 
um, there was, there was good to be had. And there, there were these things inside of me that kept me grounded and kept me moving forward. So what makes me invincible is that message inside of me, that narrative that even when um, cultural rules or societal expectations feel like they're being imposed on me and the pressure feels like I can't face it. When I go back to that singular message of what I'm here for, what my meaning in the world is, that's what makes me invincible. And that's what helps me put on the boxing gloves, right? And just smash those things and say, no, what you have to say isn't why I'm here. What you have to say isn't who I am or who I should be. So let's smash those things and live a, a true life, live a, a pure life, meaning we're not perfect, but if we're in line with our meaning, we can do it. <laughs> yes. And authentic is the word, right? It's like, yes. we're not perfect, but if we can be authentic and own who we are, whether it's right or wrong, right? It's mm -hmm. right. If that's who you are, yeah. it can be wrong. There are no mistakes here. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but it's that owning that, and that is so important. And, you know, I love what you did with that information, Right. So, and that is like the birth of your business of what we're talking about today was the, the lessons in all of that journey that you put together. And now you're putting out there as your authentic self to help others that are suffering from the same thing. Yeah. So all I can think of is like no more chameleon, right? You are not a chameleon. Oh my gosh. I know. It's like, you want to shake your pom-poms right now, like, and scream like, it, those days are over. You are not the chameleon anymore. And I love that so much. So today we are bringing this message, which is so powerful about organizational yes. ethnography. Yes. Did I say that right? Absolutely. Yes, you yes. did. Yes. Awesome. Okay. So let's do it. Let's jump in and tell everybody, first of all, what is it? Cause I could hardly say the word. And, <laughs> and second, like, all the things about it that people need to know. Yes. So organizational ethnography put very simply is a way for us to identify, define and explain the culture of an organization or a community. It could be even your family if you want to take it to that unit of an organization. So what I started to find when I stepped into my professional life was that where I worked had mission, vision, and values. And that's usually what drew me in to want to work in a place, right? Like this looks beautiful. On paper, there's this incredible description and photos to go along with it. And like all this, all those things superficially that engage someone into an organization through their marketing process. And I would, I would get in um, and be promised these grand dreams and goals that required real empowerment um, and, and come to find out later on that the resources weren't always there or they were there for a moment and then pulled away. And I couldn't understand why on paper an organization looked one way, but when you stepped inside of it, the feel again, the feelings, <laughs> it felt different. And eventually you can, you can find the patterns. You can trace back these themes of disempowerment in some places or true empowerment in others. 
So organizational ethnography became my passion. It became the thing I wanted to do um, because I was seeing human resources. I was seeing leadership. I was seeing like C-suites and, and boards of directors as um, not intentionally, but I was beginning to see the manipulation and, and predatory trends, right? Like if they wanted something, they would do whatever they needed to get a new director, to get a new position designed and developed, to get different resources. Um, but the commitments then to whoever they were serving, whether it be students or patients in the healthcare system or community members, if it was municipalities or local government, they didn't match, right? So I had to learn these skills to understand um, how, how do we identify imposition or hegemony? So that's the beginning of ethnography. How do we identify what's being imposed on a certain group or multiple groups of people that does not align with their implicit needs? So very clearly we can see in, in healthcare how people are um, defined as a disease, defined as an illness instead of seen as their true human self um, with stories and conversations that can lead us to what they need beyond a prescription of some kind of pharmaceutical or a surgery or whatever, or hopelessness. Sometimes that's all that they're left with, right? Sure. So terminal, how do we, you know, yeah. terminal that a lot of times they are just look like a disease and they're kind of left to the side because they can't be fixed. Yeah, absolutely. So in any of these, in any context, we, we're, we start to look at what's being imposed on people that doesn't actually meet their real needs. Number two, where is alterity? So who is being othered or what are the groups and the segments that are being created, whether it's internal to the organization or out in the constituency or, or the clients? And then why? Why are these different groups, these different cliques, these different pods of people being separated? And again, usually it's to control and continue imposing um, from a different level, right? So after we find how people are being separated and othered, the alterity piece, we look, we start to look at meaning and complicity. So what is it culturally and through meaningful solutions that could reunify all of these people? If we see different levels of hierarchy um, through the imposition in the organization, how do we start to dismantle that um, and not just pointing fingers at one group, but collectively owning the problem at every level to say, well, the board of directors might be imposing this new policy that doesn't fit for our C-suite, but at the same time, we're letting it happen or we're playing into the game instead of standing up for it for ourselves, right? Oh. So there's a lot of uh, complexities that require people owning their personal power, people owning their agency to advocate for themselves, to advocate for whoever they're serving um, and standing up really for what's right at the end of the day, getting beyond the manipulation and moving into inspiration, getting beyond just money and moving into meaning. And of course, we need all of it to function, um, but we can do it in a healthier way than most people are right now. Oh my gosh, I love that. And as complex as that seems, 
I followed you and, uh, you know, and all I can think about, like one, you mentioned healthcare, right? So it's different now. Like, you know, there's people sick, people left, people were let go, uh, because they refused to get vaccinated. Like there's so many different things that all different people are playing all different parts that maybe weren't what they set out to do. So they have these holes and they're just trying to plug the holes with the best people they can to do the job that is needed most right now. Uh, And that's scary, right? When you're talking about your healthcare, Um, you know, I feel like we could do better there. And the other thing I was thinking as you were going through this is it's like a company or organization, they put out like their mission statement, right? And their culture, but then the problem is they add the people, (laughs) right? And that's what changes it. Like, I think that they all set out with good intention. This is what we want to be known for. You know, this is what we want to to work toward. uh, And this is how we want to move forward. And then you start adding the people and they come in. And if they don't fit that same mission statement and culture, the wheels are off the bus, right? You've got people, they're going in different directions. Everybody has their own priorities. This is such a mess. And I don't Mm -hmm. think we mostly wander through life thinking about this. And yet these are the people that are serving us and that we're counting on. Yeah. And would you say this goes all the way from like education to politician to to the poli- like this is what I'm thinking. <laughs> so I'm just mm-hmm. going to ask the question like is this what's happening and this is this is where we are. Yeah, oh absolutely. Gosh. Yeah. Yes. And it, like you're saying it's cross industry it does, it's contextual. So contextual relevance. And the cool part about ethnography is that it's cultural anthropology, it's storytelling. So we're looking at patterns over time. We're looking at patterns among people and there's always hope, which is the cool part, right? And if we're thinking about storytelling, think about the archetypes of different characters in a story, right? You have to have a visionary, you have to have heroes, you have, you have villains usually. <laughs> um, just all these different characters that come into play and that that's the way that we start to retrain and redesign culture is if you're the CEO, you should be in visionary archetype. That's your character. If you're coming here as scared, wounded little boy, right? Then that's not the right archetype. You have to step into who you're here to be. What is, again, the meaning? If we're not aligned with the meaning, we can't change it. We can't resolve anything. Um, It's not, yeah, it's just not going to change. So that's the beauty of it is, even though it's contextual, it it crosses all the lines of industries and different sectors. But like you're saying, the solutions are simple, but they're not easy necessarily. It just takes that intentional commitment. And um, it's not always, um, I guess when I started out on this journey, it's not always about a strategic plan or a new key performance indicator or adding a different accountability measure for your employees, right? It's usually much simpler. And by removing the layers and peeling things back, it gives us space to change and grow. I love it too, because just rewriting your story, right? Having the power to do that is amazing. And yet we all have the power, right? Whether it's within an organization or even within our own selves. And I know you and I discovered that like, 
you know, you could tell the whole story about everything that you've ever been through in your life. You could tell one story or you could tell a different story that mm-hmm. is more powerful and inspiring and encouraging. And it's, you know, it really is an important thing. So I love what you said about the visionary, the hero and the villain. And I want to break that down. So I know you said about the visionary being the CEO. Give us some examples of the heroes. Um, The heroes to me are anyone in the organization who actually wants to step up and start to say, uh, here's what's going wrong. And I have some ideas on how we can change it. So the hero, as many people might see the president, the CEO, that doesn't have to be the hero. And that's the beauty of how I define leadership is that leadership is about the hero at any level who's willing to stand up and lead. That's right. right. You don't need a title to be a leader, right? Exactly. You gotta yes. be a leader to get a title. Oh yes. my gosh. I love this. Yes. So if your oh. organization is your home, you can be the hero. You can be the, you can also be the visionary as the, the CEO, but right. We change archetypes depending on what needs to get done. And that's what creates functionality. <laughs> so if this we're the wounded, so the wounded child as, as the, the leader, it doesn't work. Cause all we're going to do is lead people into our fear, lead people into our hiding, lead people into our hopelessness a lot of times instead of what could be. Yeah. Right, the, the bigger vision. All right. Now we have to talk about the villains because you're not getting away with saying that and not giving it up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. So who are the villains? What do they look like? How do we identify them? And what are they yes. doing? What are they thinking? <laughs> um, the villains are the emotional vampires, right? The ones who drain our energy, the ones who sabotage. Um, there usually aren't a lot of them. But because of what they do, how they show up, it seems like there are a ton of them. And the garlic, the antidote to the vampire, a lot of people just assume fire them, which in some cases, yes. But if you start to set boundaries, if you start to set limits, if you start to actually reunite the people who are feeling othered, that's just natural garlic to the vampires, Right. So they either back off and fall in line or they choose themselves to leave. Right. So by recontextualizing, reestablishing the meaning, once again, the meaning, the purpose, the significance, and, and everyone starts to regroup and, and rally around it, no longer can those disruptors in a negative way do what they've been trying to do, which again, in their life usually comes from their own wounds, their own fear of stepping into the hero. (laughs) Even though people follow them, they have a loud voice and a big presence, but it's being used for something unproductive. Oh, Samantha, I guess, you know, I had a light bulb go off and I'm thinking like, as you mentioned this, but now it's even coming up more is about that organization can be a company or a business or, or your own family. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's where I am right now as we're talking and I'm looking at these three words, the visionary, the heroes and the villains. uh, That is what is coming to me is like, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, that is that, that, that can be your family, anybody's family, not yours in particular, but for people Mm -hmm. that are listening 
oh, does this resonate with you? Oh my gosh, this is amazing. So any, um, any advice you have or just knowledge that you can share about how to get this right, the, the, get the visionary, the heroes and the villains mm-hmm. on the right track, in the right direction, moving the train? Um, yeah, what does yeah. that have for us? So of course, first it has to start inside of you. So it's really easy to identify in other people if they are out of archetype, if they are doing things wrong, but it's hard for us to go inside and say, this is my job title. What are the two or three archetypes that really would drive my work forward? And am I in those or not? Right? Am I, am I doing what I committed to do here? And if I'm not, I have some work to do on myself. So it starts inside. Um, and as a lot of us have probably recognized on this journey, when you're starting to make that change, we don't tell everyone because people push back on it. Change is scary for a lot of people. So as we change, we kind of have to do this inner work in our private world. Um, but eventually that action, that role modeling. Um, I have a couple of friends, we call it the quiet lion, right? You don't have to be talking all the time. You don't have to be in front of people all the time, but to have the presence that says, I know what I'm doing here. When you speak, um, it's very sharp and to the point and it leaves people pondering, right? Again, it's not an imposition. It's just to say, this is my voice. This is what I'm here to do. Um, if y'all aren't aligned with it, then we need to have a deeper discussion. So how do you develop the presence? How do you step into yourself and lead it from there? One of the things that I'm known for that I say is speed up, move over, or get out of the way with a few (laughs) other words in between, right? (laughs) And so, um, and so I feel like that's what you just said, like, start within yourself. If you don't have the archetypes that are required to do what it is that you're in position to do, either there's two choices, right? A, work on you and fix that, or B, find something else to do. Yes. I mean, in the end of the day is, is that that's where we are. Oh my gosh. And how many people are like trying to fit that round peg into that square hole. Mm -hmm. And really, unless they actually do the work, they never will be able to do that. So they're just doing more of the same of what doesn't work. Yeah. And, and there you go. When you add the people and then this happens, this is what creates the disorganization of of this. That's so crazy, but it makes so much sense. And I can see where it can happen in relationships, in families and in business and Mm -hmm. anything else that you do. That is amazing. Any other last uh, words of wisdom in that area? Yeah, I think, um, I don't know what you said a little bit ago, but what I'm thinking about right now is the essence or the the underpinnings of all of this for me comes from biocognitive science, right? And why I find biocognition so powerful is that, um, like the word archetype, for example, it's cross-cultural, it serves us across time. It's got like the essence of culture is so powerful that it can last and last and last beyond any strategy we try to change it with. Like the, the, the quote of culture eats strategy for breakfast. 
right? It doesn't matter what we try to do. Culture is powerful and profound and it sticks with us forever. So it's got to, it it takes patience. It takes courage, which requires self-worth and um, owning, going back to what we just said, owning your story, owning what mishaps have happened before, how you've been wounded and um, not not just saying like, I'm happy this happened because I learned these lessons because sometimes it's not right. Our innocence is imposed on and it's not right. So we have to get angry, but to leave the anger at some point and move back into mindfulness, to move back into ourselves and that observation to say, I know something bad happened, but let's, let's get out of the lament <laughs> and move into what's next for us all even though I have my individual needs, collectively, we can come together and create something that honors all of us. Mm, That is amazing and so powerful. And that leads me to what I want to talk to you about next, because (laughs) you did that. You totally did that yourself, that you, um, you started this sisterhood and you created these groups of people and you took what you went through your own personal experiences and you brought them to this mission that you created. And I love that. So let's talk about that right now. First one up is brave girl. Tell us about this brave girl sisterhood. Yes. So brave girl is a virtual circle for middle school girls um, and extending a little bit younger. So girls, ages eight through 11 or 12 are in this circle. Um, We meet once a month and we talk about who are you? Who do you think you want to be? Not what do you want to be, but who someday do you want to be? Um, How have you been hurt by people? And how do you make sense of that? If you thought you were this, this beautiful girl and someone insults you, and your world is turned upside down, what do you do about it? How do you overcome that? And then how do you step back into action as your true self, defining your character, getting to know yourself better? So it's really the sense-making process when girls are first starting to be really imposed upon by cultural norms and societal expectations. Oh, and it starts so young. You know that because you, mm-hmm. you had that. And yes, I remember... <laughs> It, that's crazy. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh. Okay. So the next one is warrior heart. So tell mm-hmm. us about that one. Yes. Warrior heart is for high school girls. Um, it's all about navigating love, life relationships, and what's going to come next. When you graduate, where are you going to go again? Who are you going to become? What strengths are you going to step into? And, um, of course, still in those formative years, if you're feeling like you're supposed to do something, but your heart is calling you to something else, how do you step into your heart and stand up for yourself? Even though you're not 100% for for the most part, girls at that age still aren't 100% in control of their own life. So same concept, different developmental levels. Wow. And then the last one, um, the Mm -hmm. womanhood in leadership. Tell us about that. Yeah. Womanhood and leadership is for any woman who is 
again, looking to make sense, looking to go deeper inside of herself, uh, wondering why meaning might be feeling like it's less than it used to be, uh, wondering why burnout might be happening, wondering what's next for me, wondering how to understand um, just strange things that happen as she steps into different leadership roles. And again, leadership doesn't have to do with the title, right? It has to do with that hero, that visionary. What are you trying to change in the world so that you're, so that um, you can create a new path or an easier path for the women and the girls coming after you? And amazing. Yeah. As you said, the, it's, this is all the code of sisterhood. So this is really about community and arms wrapping around women in an archetypal language <laughs> that spans our lifetime, right? So even when I talk to women in leadership, when I talk about brave girl, their eyes get huge. They sit up and I'm like, yeah, cause it's still us, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how old you are or what you're doing. That that's where we all begin. And we hold that girl with us for a lifetime. We do. We do. That girl is, yeah. And we talk to her all the time, right? We have, there's so many things, right? As I think this is so powerful because there's so, I work with so many women now that needed that then and didn't have that. Right. And so those things were never processed. They were never healed from some of those experiences. They never had anyone to really talk to that understood them. And that shows up in their adulthood, in their relationships, in their self-confidence, in their self-esteem, in their ability to make money, to break barriers. Like these are all the things that hold people back and you don't even know it. You don't know it's happening uh, until they're at this grown up adult level. And you're like, you hear the things they say and you see what they do. And you're like, that's that little girl in her that was 10 years old. Things didn't go so well. And yeah. she brings that into every area of her life. And I really believe that if you don't conquer that as an adult, then you just continue to create generations of that same thing, right? The buck has to stop somewhere. And I love what you're doing because it gives women a chance to have it stop there and be able to raise new generations up without repeating those same unhealthy habits that they bring with them. Yeah. This is amazing. So let's tell our listeners where they can find you and more information about this sisterhood. Yeah, the easiest way to get in touch or to join any groups or just take a peek is to go to my website at samanthalouise.co.co. .co. I love it. Oh my gosh, this has been the most amazing conversation. And you know, on the She's Invincible podcast, we promise our listeners we're going to bring them fierce female entrepreneurs. We are going to share their expert zone of genius. Oh my gosh, you have done that so well today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But we can't let you go because we also (laughs) promised them that not only are we going to highlight you, but we're also going to pull back the curtain and we are going to share your journey. See, you sound so good today. (laughs) You've got degrees. You're still working on them. You're solving the world's problems. You probably have in world domination meetings over there. And, you know, 
that's all great, but we need to tell them about the Samantha that was in the field with the boys and the men. We need to tell them that journey because some of those people are living that Samantha right now. Mm -hmm. And now that we know better, we need to tell them so they know better and we need to encourage them. So let's do it. Are you ready? Yes. All right. (laughs) A little wavering in my voice, but I'm ready. (laughs) Don't mistake that, right? (laughs) Oh my gosh. So we're going to start with the good. So could you tell us a good or great story of your journey? Yes. Um, One of my absolute favorite memories when I was growing up was reading with my dad Um, taking naps with my dad. He was a farmer. He was a college football player, college athlete. So he was this big dude. And when he was younger, he had this big, huge red beard and crew cut and right. Just like a big, huge, burly guy that could go out in the barn and handle full grown pigs. Uh, But when it came time to take care of his daughter, he could transition into dad and it wasn't rough, tough, Uh, disciplinarian. It was, let's sit down and have a conversation. Let's lay on the floor next to the piano in the living room and read books together. Um, When it's bedtime, I'll go get your little Tom and Jerry glass of water and meet you for bedtime prayers or a little story, right? So I grew up with this dad who, um, I mean, I think because he knew how to care for nature, he knew how to care for animals, There was this natural transition into fatherhood for him to be able to nurture his children that way. So the good right now, that's like the big one for me is just even looking, I have a couple of pictures of like me with my little yellow and white checkered blanket snuggled up next to my dad in an old football (laughs) t-shirt laying on the living room floor reading a book together and it's like one of my all-time favorite pictures ever so this compassion this quietness this reflectiveness I learned a lot of that from him what's your dad's first name Rick Rick okay people if you're listening you need to tell your husbands and your sons to be like Rick. Yes. <laughs> yes. Be like Rick. You can be burly. You can be a football player. You can be a ginger. But at the end of the day, you need to be like Rick. Oh my gosh. I mean, even just, I just get warm, warmness feelings all over my body just listening to the story of your dad being out in the farm. And then Mm -hmm. being on the floor curled up with you and a book in front of the piano, like that just blows my mind. Oh my gosh. In fact, I would love for you to share one of your pictures with your yellow and white checked (laughs) blanket because um, that would be so fun to see. Um, But yes, let's be more like Rick. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, that was so fun. All (laughs) right. But we have to keep going. And now I know as fun as the fun is, we have to tell a story about the bad. So yes. not the ugly, we'll save the ugly for last. But yeah. tell us a story about the bad. Um, the bad for me, as I touched on a little bit earlier, was starting to understand these messages of if you don't fit, you should probably be different. Um, and if you're different, then you can be successful. And then in the community, in your family, 
at your school, wherever it is that you are, then you can be accepted. Then you have a place to belong. Um, so the bad was learning really, really well, like this ethnography thing, right? It started when I was little. I just didn't know what it was. Um, but how to put on the masks, how to be someone, it was still me. Um, but like I said, to protect myself, I knew how to speak the language of the group that I was with. I knew how to um, learn about topics that maybe I didn't care about, but to fit into conversations, I could do it. So abandoning myself or hiding myself so that I could feel like maybe somehow people cared about me in some way, shape or form, maybe I was seen, even though it wasn't me, right? It was not fully me ever. Um, there were moments that it was, but again, it always felt like there was something wrong with just being myself. I'm going to ask you this. So now that you know what you know now, let's go back to that time. Mm -hmm. Because there are people doing that now. They're raising daughters that are having conversations about these things. And I think, honestly, I think the parents don't know what to say, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just talked to someone before you today who was being bullied before bully had a name, right? So yeah. yeah, like before it even had a name and now, you know, it's everywhere. So tell us what, how would you have handled that differently today, knowing <laughs> what you know? And I'm sure you share this with your brave girls and your warrior heart girls. So tell us about yeah. that. What would you do different? So I think it's a difficult conversation, especially in places where for young girls, where we have a public education system that you are inside of for 13 years, right? Depending on how your school is set up. But for the most part, um, we are in this culture. We are with the same people surrounded by the same messages. So of course, the first thing is to validate these girls to validate our young women and ask them truly, like, how are you feeling? How does this make you feel really to go deep into it? And if it's anger, it's okay to be angry. If you're sad, it's okay to be sad. Emotions are good. They are messages telling us that something's not quite right, but they are also messages telling us when we're on the right path. So teaching girls how to use their emotions, how to use their intuition as a tool and as a guide um, that, that validates their truth, that validates their skills and their purpose and their passion, um, and, and reminding them that they have someone backing them, that even if 5,000 people in their town, in their school, even at, at church, again, whatever it might be, the, the research of that one meaningful, important adult changes everything for a kid. And I think a lot of times as grown women, if we haven't learned to navigate it, we can't be that person. And that's really, really hard to say, right? Yes. So for any of the adults listening, know who you are first so that you can create a space for, for these kids to step into their own truth and feel what they're feeling and learn how to make decisions about 
how they want to live based on that instead of feeling like they can only escape it and escape it by conforming to somebody else's rules about what's right or what's wrong. Mm, I love that. And that goes back to what I said about breaking that generational curse, you know, of like they're, they're, we're dealing with grown women who've not gotten over this yet. So how would they even teach their kids? You can't give something to someone you don't have. So if they haven't overcome that in themselves, then they're really going back to that little girl again themselves, right? Like how powerful could that be? Not at (laughs) all. Yeah, Uh, because they're injured and they're going back as that injured little girl. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so powerful. I love that. We need more of that. That is so great. We need to really spread the word about these groups that you have because they're making a difference. And again, like, you know, we, you could have a mom in the womanhood and leadership with a daughter in the brave girl, right? Where the two meet and they're both being healed (laughs) together at the same time. Oh, that feels like such a celebration to me. Yes. Um, It is beautiful. Yes. It's like a victory (laughs) where they meet in the middle and they're both whole and healthy and authentic and they can carry on that way for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is amazing. Oh, oh gosh. Okay. Well, we have to talk about the ugly. Yeah. The ugly. Um, yeah. Powerful one, right? Because it's owning up to how I've decided to live different parts of my life based on the bad, based on the fear, um, and based on hiding instead of coming out with courage. So the ugly for me was getting married, um, And not that marriage is the ugly, but the way that I've been trying to navigate marriage has been ugly. It has been painful. Um, Again, we live in a small rural community. So to go out in public and, and put on the happy face that, you know, life is perfect and whatever you assume a farmer's wife should look like, whatever you assume a young man in the agricultural industry should look like, um, make those assumptions and, and we know how to smile and make it look like life is great. Even though we have a young woman who is saying, why is marriage a contract that the government is in charge of? (laughs) If I'm a, the wife of a a guy in ag, um, why do I have to work my job during the day and then be expected to come home and make meals for people out in a field and drive people around to pick up tractors and equipment? Like, that's not my passion. That's not my meaning. But it, it's just assumed that because I live in this geographic space and I have a contract to be married to a person who does a certain job, that it becomes my other job too. But I don't you know, I don't get fulfilled. It's not my thing. Um, do I love it and support it? Yes. But like, that's just one aspect of the struggle and the, the, the not understanding and, and then inviting my husband into this healing journey to say, what did you learn growing up? What are you expecting from me that maybe you don't even realize Um, How do you handle your emotions when I stand up to you and say, I don't want this? How are you feeling? And then what do you want to do about it? So it's been um, a journey of battle, a journey of ugly, because we didn't have tools to navigate it. We didn't know what to do and how to have these conversations. So 
it's been 10 years of learning. The conversations at first were just ignore it, just push it down. And then the conversations turned into arguments and yelling at each other and tears and anger and more avoidance. <laughs> and sometimes, of course, that still comes up, but it, at least now um, there's this understanding of like, we both, we both understand that we have our own mission, our own passion. We are individuals. Just because we're married doesn't mean that we have to be this bundled unit <laughs> mashup of what the community expects us to be. Oh, right. I can so, imagine too. Uh, like yeah. I, the one thing you said was like, you ask him, like, how do you feel about this? And the one thing I know about men is that they were raised to not feel. So yes. if they had emotion or feelings or their feelings were hurt, they were called a sissy. Yeah. Uh, and so, so they had to be tough and suppress all of those things. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. So for you to be asking him, like, how do you feel? It's like, that's not easy because, mm-hmm. you know, it's definitely a hundred percent contradicting what, what he was brought up with. Um, yes. Yeah. Just as a gender, as a male gender, whether his family was that way or not, that's just, mm-hmm. you know, that's what's expected unbelievable and see how that showed up. So, but now you're healing, right? Yeah. I love too, that you created what you needed, right? So these are the Mm -hmm. things that you needed in your life. And this is what you've been creating for other people to support them. But isn't it great that you can be the teacher and the student? Yes. 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 And that, and that evolves at different times and different levels. I know it evolved when you and I had our very first conversation. It's so cool that you get to be in a place where you get to be both. And again, like that whole back to rewriting that story Mm -hmm. uh, is that you get to be both and you get to decide uh, your authentic self each step of the way. Yeah. This has been amazing. Anything else you want to share? Any last words of wisdom? These people are, I know these moms are sitting on the edge of their seats right now. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So earlier before we, we came on to start talking, I told you that I had a conversation with my dad yesterday, Oh yes. right? And it's been, um, as as I have progressed through my uh, professional career, Um, I think it's harder and harder for my parents to understand, like going from a teacher to someone doing healthcare reform to an entrepreneur, like each step progressively gets more, um, esoteric, more out there for me, it's totally in line with me. Right. But for everyone else around me, it's not a normal, like you're not a nurse, you're not a pastor, you're not a doctor, you're not a teacher, you're not a farmer. So what else is there? (laughs) What is an entrepreneur? How do you do your job from home? Like, what do you, what's a schedule? What do you do? (laughs) You know, all these things. Thank you for that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So yesterday, yesterday I sat down um, at the kitchen table with my dad, um, five feet from where we used to lay by the piano and read books. And I just said to him, like, I have this vision for the old hog barn. I have a vision to turn this farm into something more than just a crop production place, right? 
Um, and it involves the family. It involves other people. It will engage people from around the world eventually. So I'm not asking for your permission. I'm just telling you, this is a dream I've had for a really long time. I've not told anyone about it. You're the only one that I really want to talk about it with it right now. Um, and of course, all of his stuff comes up with, but what about the work? What about the cleaning it out, the this, the that? And I looked at him and I said, I'm not afraid of any of that. I know how to do that stuff. I know where to find the resources. I know the connections. So he stopped and looked at me and like never before, I've never had this experience. He stopped and said, what are you afraid of then? And I said, I'm afraid of everyone telling me, no, your dream is stupid. And he just looked at me and nodded and smiled and said, okay. Oh my gosh. <laughs> right? I like, love that. He asked, how do you feel? What's your fear? Let me hear you. What are you afraid of? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. And you know what? He's going to be your biggest protector because he knows <laughs> now he's yeah. carrying that in his heart and mm-hmm. he knows that that's your fear and anybody who comes up against you, he is going to knock down. Oh my goodness. (gasps) Oh, that's so powerful. How did you feel? Tell me that when he asked you, (laughs) what are you afraid of? How did you feel? Well, I had the default response of nothing. And then I stopped and took a breath and I looked back at him and I said, no, it's not nothing. I do have a fear and it's always the same thing. So I just breathed and I said it. And after I said it, like I got in, I got in my pickup and drove back home. And I was like, man, that felt really good. It was one simple sentence. That's all. It was just one sentence. I didn't lose my head. I didn't die. I didn't spontaneously combust. <laughs> I just had like, to say like one you're thing. Convinced, right? That yeah. you will. That's what we always do that to ourselves. Yes. We think the worst is going to happen, and this is going to be awful. And and all he said was, "What are you afraid of?" Yeah. And then he got it. Oh, mm-hmm. I love that so much. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, that is amazing. And talk yeah. about full circle. Right. Seriously, full mm-hmm. circle. Oh Mm -hmm. my gosh. Okay. Well, this has been so fun. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being so authentic. Like, I know that's what your whole topic was about, but man, did you show up with everything to really let people see like who you are and what you believe and what you stand up for and where your line is drawn in the sand and how you can help them to stand up and do that too. And that is so amazing. And that's what makes you invincible. Thank you. So before we say goodbye, I'm going to ask you to finish the sentence for me. The world would be a better place if more people knew blank. Their personal truth. Mic drop. Oh my gosh, you guys, you heard it. Samantha, Louise, Nelson. Oh, I don't know where you are in your life or your business, but if you can't get up after you listen to this one, I don't know what we're going to do. You know, wherever you are, if you're face down on the ground, get back up, girl. Get back up. Tell them, Samantha. Get up. Our hand is reaching out to take yours. Oh my gosh. Get up. Grab our hands. Get back up and stand up for everything that you are and what you believe in. 
Hey, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. If you were inspired or learned something new, please subscribe to the podcast, give us a review and share us with your friends. For more information about me and how I can support you, please stop on over to my website at camilehman.com and book a free call with me. I'd love to meet you and learn more about how I can support you.